it's either sink or swim at this point. So um, I think you kind of have to have a little bit of that openness to risk, uh, a willingness to bet on yourself and just... You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone, to the Teak Nation Podcast. My name is Alex Swinson. I am the Director of Education for Tall Kappa Epsilon International Headquarters. Have with us today a very special guest for this edition. He is a Grand Council member. He is also a very successful businessman, entrepreneur. That's what we're going to talk about here today. Frater Eric Plo is uh, is our guest this this morning. Frater Eric, how's everything down there in Houston? Hey, Frater Alex, thank you so much. Things are things are a little crazy here in Houston. Um, but we are all hanging in there and uh, just trying to, uh, you know, keep things as normal as possible and kind of keep business going uh, as best we can during these difficult times. How are things up there for you? They're good. They're good. We're, uh, we're plugging along, doing a lot of podcasts, which is always fun. Nice. Um, but, you know, staying busy with the family and everything. So uh, it's been an interesting six months, that's for sure. I'm sure a lot of the people out there listening have felt that. You're getting ready to move. Is that correct? Yeah, in the middle of all this, as if there's not enough going on, I'm actually in the process of building a new house. And I put my current house on the market, and five days later, it was sold unexpectedly. So I, um, I'm i now in the midst of doing a temporary move to a rental property and then uh, hopefully to my permanent house uh, later next year. That's smart to add in a, a little bit of added stress and chaos oh, yeah. of moving yeah. in the middle of all this, I think. That's Absolutely. Good, good plan. Um, so Eric, I mentioned you, you know, you spent a lot of time in your entire career really as an entrepreneur and advising various other entrepreneurs. Can you just talk a little bit about your professional experience and what brings you here today and, and where your career path has taken you? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out uh, as a business major at the University of Houston, uh, Epsilon Omicron chapter of Teak. And I got my I got a really lucky break coming out of school, uh, going to work for uh, what is now Accenture, it used to be called Anderson Consulting. And immediately out of college, I was kind of thrown into the corporate environment, uh, working on projects for Fortune 200 uh, companies doing things, everything, uh, things from technology implementations to business process changes to um, HR-related issues in terms of staffing levels and things like that. Um, at various times during my career, I went out on my own kind of between gigs. I was doing uh, private consulting uh, based on my personal network. Um, then I ended up at IBM uh, at one point and spent about 10 years uh, in the management consulting division of IBM. Uh, where again, I was kind of advising executives from Fortune 100 companies on technology-related issues. Um, about five years ago, I decided that I was really looking for a change, not only in my business life, but also in my personal life. I had spent nearly 20 years uh, in the management consulting industry. I had traveled, you know, probably 45 to 50 weeks a year for that entire time. So I was gone from my friends and family a lot. And so I was looking for something that kept me a little bit closer to home and had 
the opportunity to pick up some other consulting gigs and, uh, and now have moved into my current uh, aspect of my career, which is really around home uh, design, uh, home building, and kind of all the peripheral things that go with that. Very nice. So you're uh, you're you're rocking and rolling with your house, then. I'm sure that's been a, a fun process. Yeah, I get tired of uh, working on other people's houses, so it's a really fun project to be able to not have to take somebody else's opinion into account and just be able to focus on what I want to do. So yeah. it's uh, it's going to be a fun process. Absolutely. Well, best of luck with that. Um, when we think about any members who are listening to this, who are looking to go out on their own, start a business. Um, what are the two or three things that you think an entrepreneur should really have at the top of their to-do list when they're in that early stage of, of getting something off the ground? Wow, that's a great question. Um, a couple things. One thing that really helped me, and I would suggest anyone looking to open a business, is to really have some sort of financial cushion in place. So I had put a lot of money aside from you know, my time in the corporate world and had a nice little nest egg in order to you know, start my business. Because you know, quite frankly, the first couple of years that I opened this business or you know, worked in my current company, my income was about a quarter of what it had been previously. I expected that. I was putting everything I was making back into the business and I didn't want to have to worry about things like how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to, you know, pay, you know, my, my day-to-day bills. So one, just kind of living conservatively and also just putting that money aside to, to kind of support you during the startup phase of the business. I think the second thing is really around building a team. A lot of entrepreneurs that I see or that, or small business owners that I work with, you know, they're very good at doing what they do. Uh, or what their business is, but they're not necessarily so good at running a business. And it is a completely different skill set. Um, I feel you know, very fortunate. My education was in the business area. I, I was able to go on and get my MBA later on. And so you know, in general, I know, and I also helped advise a lot of big businesses and how they run and operate. So I have some advantages, I think, of more than some uh, business owners. But at the end of the day, You've got to bring in people who support the skills that you don't have necessarily. So, you know, for example, I'm not a tax expert. I'm not going to sit there and try and figure out my corporate income taxes. I, I want a professional doing that. Um, I'm also not a born salesperson. I'm, I'm a good operational manager. I'm a good, uh, you know, HR partner, but I'm not the, the personality or the type of person to go out and really, you know, shake the bushes for business. And so I needed to bring that skill set into the company. And, you know, by building people around me who are very good at what they do, I let them, you know, be successful at those roles. I'm very, you know, I can be successful at what I'm good at. And then together we've built a team that's high functioning and that's going to accomplish what we're looking to do. Um, and, you know, that brings me to my second and, and our third and final uh, recommendation is really talking about building the sales engine. You can't just open a new business and just expect the phone to ring. You, there, there's got to be an engine for making people aware of what you're doing, why you're different, why they would be interested in getting to know you. Um, in some cases, that's social media. In some cases, that's 
you know, formal, you know, sales, doing cold calls. Uh, but really, you've got to put a strategy together for reaching the right audience uh, who you're trying to attract into your business and developing that relationship over time. So that goes kind of hand in hand with building the right team and the right set of skills. But uh, for me, that's something very specialized and probably the most important. Uh, you can fix a lot of problems with good sales. So that is definitely not something to underestimate uh, as you uh, plan your startup. Yeah, a, a treasure trove of information there in the, the first answer, which is fantastic. One of the things that, that I heard that I think can apply across all aspects of life is that self-awareness, right? The ability to know thyself. That's one of the first lessons we teach at our leadership academy. Right. Understanding where you're skilled and where you're not skilled and being able to fill in the gaps where, uh, where they may exist. Yeah, I don't think it's any different than, uh, you know, at the chapter level and uh, a lot, I've had, you know, several of these conversations and really the very first business that I ran was my teak chapter. I was Preetness, um, you know, and served in several roles on the executive council. And, you know, at 20 years of age, I, ha I was responsible for, uh, we had a house, we had a hundred plus members we had a nice budget, I had a board of advisors, I had the university and other stakeholders that I was reporting into. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of responsibility for someone at that age, but honestly, it was the best training I could have had to prepare myself for going out into the workplace. I knew how to have difficult conversations. I knew how to answer to or, or be responsible to other parties um, you know, that had a vested interest in, you know, in the fraternity. Um, I, you know, found myself in, you know, having to deal with difficult situations where for everything from non-payment of dues to um, other sort of just, you know, challenges. And again, building the um, reputation and building the skill set to be able to handle that as a leader was something that I really attribute to Teak. And I still use all those same skills every single day today. So I don't use a lot of the other things I learned in college, a lot of those formulas, a lot of those, you know, things that I learned in class, but I do use what I learned in the fraternity and uh, it served me very, very well. And I know our members are always looking for ways to leverage their Teak experience into a professional career and, you know, how to sell Teak on a resume and sell Teak in an interview. And I think that's, that's great advice there. Moving back to the, the entrepreneurial side of things. Sure. You covered it a little bit, but when you think about a really strong entrepreneur, somebody who's, who's had success opening businesses and starting up companies, what are two or three personal qualities that, that you've seen make a really successful entrepreneur? And then the follow-up to that is, how can you practice those skills and refine those skills if you may be lacking in them? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, one thing that I find very interesting about entrepreneurs is that a lot of times they're not just working on one business. They are working on two or three things uh, at any given time. And because the, the fact of the matter is at any given time, one or more of them may or may not work and they're open to new ideas. So I think flexibility is really the first characteristic. Um, as, 
you think you know the way your business is going to go and life kind of throws you some opportunities, it throws you some lemons, you learn from your mistakes, um, you also learn from your successes. And so, you know, my business has pivoted 180 degrees several times. And now at this point, you know, five years later, I've, I've got four or five different aspects of my business and four or five different revenue streams that are happening at any given time. And, you know, when this pandemic hit, for example, certain things are doing well, certain things aren't doing well. So I put more energy into what's being, what's being successful. So flexibility, uh, that's a very long answer to uh, a short question, but flexibility and just being willing to kind of move and react quickly to what's working and what's not working. Um, a second quality is, I think, just self-determination. Um, after, you know, being on the corporate payroll for 20 years, uh, I was very comfortable having a regular paycheck. I, I, you know, I had great benefits. I had, you know, a great salary. I had built up a nice reputation uh, within the organization. So to take that leap of faith and saying, eh, I don't need all that. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to, I'm going to handle it on my own. Um, it, it, it takes kind of, uh, a lot of courage to step away and really step and really bet on yourself. And that's really what I decided to do. I was tired of giving other people advice on how to run their business. I wanted to be able to make my own decisions and, and determine my financial freedom, my success or failure based on my own merits. And so for me, that's been an, another aspect of entrepreneurship that I didn't even realize how much courage it really was going to take until those, those paychecks really just turn off and you're like, wow, okay, it's either sink or swim at this point. So um, I think you kind of have to have a little bit of that openness to risk, uh, a willingness to bet on yourself and just uh, really a belief that this really can't fail because there is no plan B. This is, this is the choice I made and I'm going to do what it takes to, to get this done. So, you know, in terms of how can you practice these, um, you know, I think every day we all have an opportunity to look at our level of flexibility, our level of courage, our level of integrity, and how we interact with the world. You know, if you're still a student and you're, you know, you're in a chapter, the way that we handle difficult situations, the way that we balance um, workloads, you know, there's so many students out there today trying to balance work and teak and their academics and their family life. It's no different when you own your own business. Uh, all those skills of, of learning to balance your time, of learning to be flexible, of learning to, you know, make courageous decisions, those don't change. Um, it's really just you're just operating in a different sphere and all of a sudden, your stakeholders are not your chapter members, but they're your employees, they're your vendors, they're your customers. There's, and it's a whole, it doesn't matter if you own your own business, you still have people that you report to, whether formally or informally, there are people who make, make, make or break decisions that impact your success or failure. And so um, it's, I, I don't find it to be that different than all the things that, that we expect our undergraduates to be able to do today. That's perfect. And, and we've, we've talked already a lot about 
what makes a person or a business successful. I want to flip that a little bit because I think, as you mentioned, you can learn a lot from, from failures or from pitfalls. When you think about some of the businesses or maybe some of the executives that you've worked with who have not been successful or, you know, businesses that you've seen started and, and maybe it's a startup that lasts a year or two and then folds, what are some commonalities in those businesses or those individuals who, who mm. haven't been as successful that you've seen? Well, there's, I mean, that's a loaded question. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and of course, my, my background is really digging into what, where those issues are coming from and how to solve them. So that's really what I built my career on. So, you know, it could vary, very substantially by the individual business. So I, I don't want to generalize too much, but I think it goes back to some of the earlier stuff that we spoke about, and it's not having the right skill set on the team. Um, again, you might have a great idea for uh, a video game or a piece of software or whatever it might be. And you might be the best coder there is. You might be the most creative person there is. Uh, but if you don't know how to execute, uh, if you don't know how to manage cash flow, if you don't know how to go out and sell your ideas to somebody who can actually execute on them, you know, there's, there's a skill set missing. And so a lot of times I do find that uh, the business has failed to build the right mix of skills. Um, it, again, going back to the chapter model, you might have somebody who is great at operationally running a chapter. You might have somebody who's, um, you need to have somebody who's very good at uh, selling the organization and, and heading up your recruitment efforts. Um, you know, it's again, building that right team. So as you're building your core of officers uh, in your chapter, that's exactly what you're doing. It's no different than when you're starting a small business. Who's, who's really good at sales? Who's really good at accounting? Who's really good at operations? Um, who's really good at the technical details. And um, in some cases, some people are that talented, they can handle all that themselves. And in other cases, they, they really didn't build the right team around them. Uh, the second thing that is always a struggle is, is finances. When you're starting a new business, you've got to uh, come up with the money and the ability to support the organization until you get to a point of profitability or at least a point of being able to operate uh, effectively month to month. So um, again, having that financial cushion, having, you know, we go into a situation like COVID completely unexpected and all of a sudden we're looking at, um, you know, big drops in business. Do you have the financial cushion to really be able to weather the storm? It's things like that. So take me, take me inside a conversation. You, you talk about uh, building a team and how important that is. Yeah. It's probably not the easiest thing to get a successful professional to jump in with you on your venture, right? You, you might have the best idea in the world, like you said, but you still need people on board that are going to help you succeed. What does that conversation look like when you say, hey, I have this idea. I think it's going to be really successful. Here's the market I want to corner, but I can't promise you you're going to be taking a paycheck. I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to provide benefits right off the bat, but I need you on my team. How do you convince someone to join you in, in, that, uh, in that effort? Yeah, I think like minds really attract uh, in this case. There's, I think there's a type of person who is willing to take that risk 
and has that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and is looking for a way to express that. And then I think there's a lot of people who are just more comfortable being safe and not necessarily, you know, taking a risk like that. So I think you've got to find people who have that, that kind of like-mindedness with you in order to, to take that journey. I think you really have to be able to sell your idea to that person first and to that small team and get them excited about the mission of the organization, what's gonna make this different, why they would wanna be a part of it now, why they would wanna get on board at this level and put incentives in place for them to you know, succeed as the business succeeds. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that you can encourage that. But in general, I would look for the person who, you know, you're explaining this to and they get just as excited as you are. I mean, that's the first sign that you're, you're on the right track to finding the resource and the person that's, that's a good fit for you. Excellent. Excellent. I think that's, uh, you know, as our members think about either building a chapter or building a business or whatever venture they take, that's important advice about how to build a team and, and how to surround yourself with the right people. The, the next layer to that is, is leading those individuals and, and creating buy-in so that they want to, like I said, be a part of what you're building, but also trust you as a leader. And when we think about, you know, you specifically, Eric, as a leader, how has adversity and some of those difficult situations you mentioned you face with finances and with, with funding and getting businesses launched, how has that adversity made you a stronger leader from the beginning of your career to where you are right now? Yeah, I think early in my career, uh, you know, very similar to, as I said, at 20 years old, I was kind of put in the position of, uh, you know, running a chapter and, and getting people to listen to my ideas and, you know, take my advice and, um, you know, operate the chapter effectively. It didn't change kind of as soon as I left school and then I went into the consulting business, I'm only 22 years old and all of a sudden I'm expected to be giving advice to, you know, large companies or leaders within organizations. And um, I think early on I had a tendency to kind of overcompensate for my skills and my knowledge. Um, whereas at this point in my career and as I open my own business, I'm much more willing to look at myself honestly and being like, wow, that's something either I'm not good at or I don't know. Uh, and I may not have the answer right now, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to get back to you. So just being able to, you know, part of being a good leader is being able to look at yourself, uh, make an honest assessment of your, your strengths and weaknesses, and then being able to compensate for those in various ways um, and using various strategies. So, you know, part of, and the other thing is just doing what you say you're going to do and building trust. If, if I make a commitment to an employee or to a customer or to a client, you know, come no matter what, I'm going to follow through on that because I gave my word and I, I'm going to, you know, deliver on that because my reputation in this case is everything. There is no cushion. There is the buck stops with me in this case. And so I want to, you know, make sure that I'm serving as the type of leader that I want and expect my employees to, to model. Yeah. And, and 
when you think about the difference between running your own business and working for a, a gigantic firm like Accenture, really when you start a business, your reputation is the business's reputation, right? It, whatever people think of you is what the, they think of the business. That might not be the case when you're working for a larger company. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there's within Teak, there is so many examples of people who are wildly successful. They are CEOs of massive companies and, you know, big organizations, and they got there for a reason. I think I represent, I think there's a lot more people like myself who, you know, have a small business or are trying to grow a smaller business into a medium-sized business. We have 10, 20, 50, 100 employees. Um, and that's where a lot of the job growth in the United States comes from is companies that are the size of the ones that I operate. And at that level, there's, you know, I'm not a big, you know, CEO of a, a fortune 100 company. So I'm not, I don't have the press at my disposal. I don't, you know, have big PR teams. I don't have all uh, of those uh, benefits. So my, you're right, my reputation and the work that I do day to day and the power of referrals um, that I rely on to kind of keep my business going, those are all things that I can do at my level and with the size of company that I have to, to kind of ensure my longevity and my success. Perfect. And, and a lot of what you just shared and what we've talked about, I think is, is evergreen information and it's going to be just as, as applicable today as it is 10 years from now. I want to just take a second and, and think about the situation that we're in currently with the COVID pandemic and, and with the challenges that a lot of businesses are facing. And, and for a, a lot of companies, whether it's Disney and Apple or whether it's a, a mom and pop boutique, they're probably facing challenges they've never faced before. This is a situation unlike any we've ever seen. What advice would you give to some of those individuals who are trying to lead a business or lead a company through these difficult times without the knowledge of when it's gonna end or, or when it's gonna get better? How do you keep plugging along and ensure that, that your business is positioned to thrive once we get to the other side of this? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone is trying to figure this out on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, just you know, here in Texas, things are not, not very good at the moment. Um, we, you know, my organization participated in the required shutdown uh, earlier this year. Uh, we are back to uh, operations, but I actually commented to my team earlier this week, we were all in a meeting uh, at my office and I just said how surreal it was that we were all backed way away from the conference table. So we were keeping our distance. We were all wearing masks. And I'm like, this is just the most surreal thing that we're trying to, you know, get business done and we, we have to be separated. But um, I, I think flexibility is, is really the key in this case. I am very fortunate actually that, you know, we have a number of revenue streams. So earlier on in the pandemic, things really kind of got really quiet. And then all of a sudden, at least in my business, people were sitting at home, they're spending a lot more time at home, and all of a sudden they realize, wow, there's all these nagging projects there, or I don't have enough space, or I need a home office, or I can't go to the gym, so I want a home gym. And all of a sudden, my business has actually exploded. So 
Uh, I'm one of these really weird um, anomalies, I think, in this case, that uh, people spending so much time at home really made them um, appreciate the need to, to kind of have the, the amenities that they were wanting in their home. So I think a couple things. One, don't assume that there's not still opportunities out there. I was really worried earlier this year. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling a lot more confident because things have picked up substantially and we're actually up year over year in my business. For the type of businesses you mentioned where you know, they're, they're struggling and they're, they're looking at doing things they've never had to do before, um, I think looking for other ways of diversifying you know, your revenue. Disney's the perfect example. Yeah, the theme parks are you know, not doing well whatsoever at this point. But at the same time, they're launching their Disney streaming service. They're launching, you know, you know, they still have entertainment. They still have revenue coming in from many, many other sources. And I know in a smaller business, um, you know, you're not going to have all those opportunities. But if you look for, um, I actually had uh, a conversation with another entrepreneur yesterday. And they are kind of the go-to person for, luxury corporate events in Houston. So their business has gone to zero. They had things booked for you know the entire year. People are canceling events left and right. And all of a sudden this person is like, wow, I, I you know, I, I'm not gonna make it through. And, um, but what they did do for these big corporate events is, uh, you know, a lot of floral. And so they would do, you know, big, uh, flower centerpieces and, you know, things for hotels, things like that. And they just decided, hey, the event space is dead for the rest of the year, but maybe I can drive up the floral business. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know, we're not getting rich off of this, but at least I can keep my employees. At least I can keep the lights on. And I do know and hope this is going to end at some point. But in the meantime, I've got to, I've got to flex and I've got to look for other opportunities to just keep money coming in the door. So they're doing special deliveries. They're doing everything from funeral arrangements um, that, you know, he never really thought or had to do that sort of retail floral business. But again, he's trying to be flexible. He's trying to hang on to his employees because he knows as soon as this is over, there's going to be an avalanche of events that didn't happen in 2020, but are going to hopefully happen in 2021. And that really speaks again directly to a lot of what, what we've been trying to share from a headquarters level to Teak Nation as a whole, which is the, the groups, the chapters, the alumni associations, the boards of advisors that, that come out of this on the other side thriving are the ones that are creative and the ones that are coming up with new ways to do old tasks because that's what the situation calls for. So I think there's, there's a ton of good in that response. Yeah, I, I mean, we're all just day to day trying to do the best we can. Um, of course, we're trying to keep employees safe. Of course, we're trying to get business done in um, in an effective manner and in a just it, it's just. Uh, and I think the other thing that's very difficult when you're running a small business is that uh, in this situation specifically is just the stress that people are under. Uh, just the mental, emotional stress of worrying about friends and family, worrying about your health, worrying about your, you know, the stability of your paycheck. 
So again, me being flexible, me being uh, transparent with my employees of how things are going, uh, trying to alleviate at least the, the I can alleviate all that stress uh, that we all get from watching the news every day, but I can alleviate them having to worry about their employment because we have we've made the hard decisions. We have been flexible. We're we're taking on types of jobs that we wouldn't necessarily normally have to or want to take on, but I'm doing it because I. I have a commitment to those employees or, you know, in the case of the chapter, you have a commitment to the chapter. You do have, you know, yeah, it sucks. We can't do the events that we used to, or we can't meet in person as often, or, uh, you know, when we do get together, we have to wear masks and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. But at the end of the day, you know, where's the greater good and where, how are we going to get through this difficult period? And, and how are we going to look back and say, yeah, it was tough, but wow, we learned a lot during that process, and now I'm even more equipped to to be successful coming out of it. Perfect. Um, any final words of wisdom for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs out there, or current entrepreneurs who are are struggling through this time? I, I just want to give you the floor one last time if you have any any parting words. Well, I think first of all, if you if you are running any size of business. Uh, if you're a small business owner or looking to, to start one up, uh, you really have my admiration and respect. It's not an easy task. It's not um, for the faint of heart. And I, I have mad respect for anybody who's willing to step out and step up to, to take on a challenge like that. So, you know, number one, just know that there are many, many people uh, like myself and like many other teaks out there who, you know, had that moment of courage and said, you know, I, this is something I want to do for myself. And ha just even having a network of people you can talk to uh, about uh, small business or entrepreneurship is, is one of the first things I would suggest. As I said, I just talked to this person yesterday and we had a two hour conversation about how they're flexing and changing their business I was sharing some, you know, tips and ideas of, of what had worked for myself, and it was just a very invigorating and very exciting uh, conversation because, yeah, we're both going through tough times, but we're both also um, looking for what the next chapter is going to be. And I think, you know, rely on your Teak network, rely on the alumni, and and make those connections and and just people love to help other people and don't be afraid to ask for help. If it may be an expert in the field you're going into or the type of business you're starting, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to a competitor in your same city. There might be another Teak who's operating that type of business in another city and you just strike up a conversation and say, Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. What advice do you have for me? So, um, and I, I know that people are willing to, to lend a helping hand and a, and a hand up. So uh, I think just don't be afraid to reach out to people um, and do the other things that we talked about today. Make sure you've, you've got a nest egg, make sure you're building a sales engine, make sure you're putting people around you who build up the skills that maybe you don't have and and then also just, um, you know, try and find some work-life balance. I think that is one other thing that I've struggled with. Um, there's never not a time that I, I don't have 10 things that I could be doing, 
or that I would like to be doing. But at some point, you've also got to be able to turn it off and, and have a life as well. That was part of the reason I tried to get off the road, tried to stop traveling as much. And so I do try and take advantage of the time when I can, you know, spend more time with friends and family and definitely looking forward to, you know, hopefully in 2021, being able to do a lot more of that than, than I have been in 2020. That's uh, perfect, perfect wisdom and knowledge, I think, for, for parting words is, is lean on your brothers and lean on your Teak network and your, your Teak family, whether it's just for mental well-being or professional well-being, but, you know, utilizing other Teaks that, that support you and believe in you is, is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that, that we get out of this fraternity experience. So I appreciate you bringing that to light. Absolutely. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that hopefully a year from, I think right now, we'll be in Houston for Conclave uh, 2021, looking for, right, fingers crossed. Will the house be ready by then to, to uh, maybe host a little offsite event for five, six months? I'm expecting probably 15 months before it's ready, but maybe I need to like ramp it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, as long as there's a, you know, as long as there's a structure in place, maybe we can bring in a stage, a band. Hey, I'm sure my new neighbors will love it. Well, you gotta, we can invite them too. We'll, we'll bring everyone. We, we could uh, give a little business to the luxury event planner. Uh, entrepreneur. Yes. <laughs> it's all, I think it's, it's all coming together. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, makes perfect sense. I like it. Uh, best of luck with that. Can't thank, thank you. you enough. Can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, appreciate it. And, and as always, you know, if you do need advice or if you're looking for some of that extra information for those out there watching or listening, hopefully you take advantage of, of the resources that we have as Teaks. And, you know, I'm sure Frauder Eric will be at RLCs, Conclaves, other events moving forward. And, and he'd love to chat about that as well. Absolutely. And Alex, it's just really been an honor to be with you today. And um, and uh, thank you, Teak Nation, for all you're doing to keep the fraternity strong during these difficult times. And uh, just know from the Grand Council uh, perspective, we, we so appreciate all the work that you do. And um, it's really just an honor to, to be able to chat with you here. Well, thanks again, Eric. We'll let everyone get back to it. And uh, hopefully they'll join us next time here for the next edition of the Teak Nation podcast. All right. Thank you, Frater.